Hi guys, today I'd like to introduce you to Videoblocks.com, a website that allows you to include sound effects for podcast or video background on your website. With Videoblocks there is no reason for your creative needs to be compromised due to budget constraints. You get studio quality stock including HD footage, After Effects templates, motion backgrounds and more for a fraction of the cost. Go to videoblocks.com and get exclusive discounts on millions of additional marketplace clips, where you save 40% and can use clips for commercial and personal projects. Videoblocks.com, all the stock footage you can imagine for $149 a year. Welcome everybody to another episode of Data Science at Home. In uh, this episode I want to continue the discussion of the last two episodes uh, because there is one more aspect of deep learning that I really would love to consider and therefore I left it as a full episode. I'm talking about parallelizing and distributing deep learning on relatively large clusters. As a matter of fact, computing architectures are changing in a way that is encouraging parallelism more than ever before. And of course, deep learning is no exception. Now, despite the greatest improvement with uh, commodity GPUs or graphical processing units, when it comes to speed, there is still room for improvement. This is Data Science at Home the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. Here's your host, Francesco Garaletta. Together with the last two episodes, this one completes the picture of deep learning at scale. Indeed, as I mentioned in the previous episode titled How to Master Optimization in Deep Learning, the function optimizer is the horsepower of deep learning and neural networks in general. A slow and inaccurate optimization method usually lead to networks that slowly converge to quite unreliable results. In another episode titled Additional Strategies for Optimizing Deep Learning, I explained some ways to improve function minimization and model tuning in order to get better parameters in less time. So feel free to listen to these episodes again, share them with your friends, even rebroadcast or download for your commute. While the methods that I have explained so far represent a good starting point for prototyping a network, when you need to switch to production environments or take advantage of the most recent and advanced hardware capabilities of your graphical processing unit, well, In all those cases, you would like to do something more. As mentioned, generally speaking, the optimizer is the core component of neural networks, no matter their architecture, usually represented by the number of layers and neurons per layer. Under certain conditions, stochastic gradient descent is a reliable method, and that's why it is still the number one optimization method in deep learning. Now, in this episode, I will explain how can we make it faster by exploiting uh, modern hardware architectures and GPUs. Given the ubiquity of large-scale data solutions and the availability of uh, low-commodity clusters, distributing stochastic gradient descent to speed it up further is, in my opinion, the next step that 
every researcher will take in the immediate future. The major issue, however, is represented by the fact that stochastic gradient descent by itself is a sequential method. And this means that step by step, we progress farther towards the, the minimum or the maximum of the loss function following the direction of the negative gradient. Now, running a gradient descent method basically provides good convergence, but can be slow, particularly on relatively large datasets, as we already shown in uh, the previous episodes and on the, also in the literature that you can find online, uh, all these examples and experiments in which when you increase the size of the data, you'll start falling into trouble. In contrast, running stochastic gradient descent in an asynchronous fashion can be faster, but suboptimal communication between workers can lead to poor convergence. So if you have multiple workers, the presence of these multiple nodes or workers can optimize with respect to a subset of the entire training set, but if they do not communicate with each other fast enough or with sufficient frequency, such optimizations can be only local, forcing the optimizer towards a local minimum. In addition to this issue, we can also parallelize stochastic gradient descent on just one machine without the need for a large computing cluster. And so what follows in this episode is a list of algorithms and architectures, definitely non-exhaustive, that have been proposed by researchers to optimize stochastic gradient descent with parallelism and distributed computation in mind. The first algorithm that can improve an off-the-shelf gradient descent method is called Hogwild. Hogwild is an algorithm that takes advantage of data sparsity. The key of this algorithm is that with sparse data, each parameter update will affect only a small fraction of all parameters. We are talking about millions of parameters here. This in turn leads to several CPUs updating parameters in parallel with very low chances to interfere with each other and therefore overwriting results. There is, however, no guarantee that even with sparse data, some parameters will be overwritten, in which case overall convergence will slow down. And so the fact that several CPUs or cores can access shared memory without locking any parameter can play in favor of the algorithm when there is no overwriting, and that's indeed the case, but it can also be quite detrimental in the case in which overwriting occurs. And honestly, it is very difficult to take this overwriting into account beforehand. That's why Hogwild performs better on some datasets rather than others. This approach has been presented back in 2011 uh, in a paper titled Hogwild, a lock-free approach to parallelizing stochastic gradient descent proposed by Benjamin Recht and Christopher Ray and others. Another algorithm that performs parallelization, improving the baseline of stochastic gradient descent, is called DownPower SGD. Now, DownPower uh, is an algorithm that comes from the DistBelief framework, from which TensorFlow was created, and it is basically an asynchronous approach. The architecture of DownPower is formed by a server called the parameter server, to which multiple nodes send their parameter updates. 
Now each node runs in parallel on a subset of the training dataset. And each node can be running on the same physical hardware or on different machines. While parallelization is clearly maximized since every machine is basically executing a different optimization problem on substantially different data, parameters can still diverge due to the fact that there is no communication mechanism in place, which allow the single node or the single machine to share their updates with the others. And as a consequence, convergence can slow down quite consistently or in the worst case scenario, it could never be reached. There is a seminal paper uh, titled Large Scale Distributed Deep Networks proposed by Jeffrey Dean and Greg Corrado under the supervision of Andrew Un at Google. Well, at the time, during the time they were all at Google back in 2012. And in this seminal paper, the authors consider the problem of training a deep network with billions of parameters using tens of thousands of CPU cores and thousands of different model replicas. Of course, only a large organization of the caliber of Google could run such a beast, but this project basically paved the way to many others that tackled the problem of uh, asynchronous gradient optimization. Uh, one very famous project that uh, comes directly from, uh, uh, from, uh, from this project is called, uh, of course, TensorFlow uh, that has been open sourced a while ago and uh, is becoming kind of a standard also for other machine learning models, not just deep learning. One less famous but definitely worth mentioning is uh, called DeepDist, which promises a lightning fast deep learning on Spark via parallel stochastic gradient updates. The approach of deep dist is slightly different than the original downpower and frankly quite interesting. So deep dist implements a downpower-like stochastic gradient descent. As in the original idea, it starts a master model uh, server and a certain number of nodes in a Spark cluster. And subsequently, on each data node, deep dist fetches the model from the master and calls the gradient function. Now this function will compute the gradients on the data partitions, on the single node. And then these gradient updates are sent back to the server, but it is only on the server that the master model is updated by the descent function that is the actual minimization. Remember what we said in a previous episode, uh, descending consists in following the direction of the negative gradient. And so after the gradient has been computed, we, or well, the optimization method has to follow the direction of the negative gradient. And that's exactly what happens in the master node. Now, it is shown that models can converge faster than other methods because gradient updates are constantly synchronized between the nodes. The major difference with respect to classical models is that in traditional parallel approaches, nodes have to compute all these subgradients over the subsample data before they can update the model. And so gradient updates are usually much less frequent and deep leaf models might converge more slowly. Indeed, only at the end of the computational step of gradient and descent, the parameters are transferred to the master node, while in this case, this occurs much more frequently. 
Another algorithm that helps in parallelizing stochastic gradient descent methods is called delay-tolerant algorithms for SGD. This is a family of algorithms that has been applied to distributed systems with large delays between gradient computations and the corresponding updates. It takes inspiration from adaptive gradient methods, for instance, Adagrad, also discussed in the previous episode, How to Master Optimization in Deep Learning. And the authors of this approach uh, develop algorithms that adapt to the sequence of gradients and to the precise update delays that might occur. So leaving all the math out for today, what they essentially implement is a way to quantify the impact of the delays. In fact, the key algorithmic technique is efficiently revising the learning rate of the stochastic gradient descent methodology used for previous gradient steps. And it is shown that when this delay grows large, uh, about 1,000 updates or more, this new algorithm performs significantly better than standard adaptive gradient methods. Now, if you are brave enough to digest all the math that these concepts are explained in the original paper provided by McMahon and Streeter and also reported in the show notes. And now, TensorFlow. TensorFlow has been developed at Google, and as I anticipated before, it comes from disbelief architecture. It is one of the de facto standards accepted by the deep learning community, even though I must say there are many other amazing libraries that are still greatly defending their position in the field. Uh, for instance, Keras uh, is one of them in particular. And the TensorFlow looks at an algorithm as a graph of operations that must be performed in a specific order. Some of these operations can be executed in parallel only under certain conditions, such as whenever there are no dependencies with the other parts of the graph. And so the approach of TensorFlow is to break down the problem of optimization in relatively small pieces or subgraphs of the entire computation graph of the objective function. At, at that point, each subgraph is assigned to different devices or machines, or even different GPUs within the same physical machine that can calculate the subgraph in parallel and return all partial results towards the root of the graph where the final solution is stored. And so this deals nicely with the synchronization issues and model parameter updates of the previous models. That's why it's a more sophisticated way of dealing with parallelization in mind. Communication among devices uh, occurs via send-receive mechanism. Now, TensorFlow is an amazing platform, I must say, but there are a lot of drawbacks that I personally experienced, uh, and not just me, also the community of uh, deep, learner, uh, deep learners or deep learning practitioners. So TensorFlow can, first of all, hog a, C a GPU. So on startup, TensorFlow tries to allocate all available GPU memory for itself. And so if you are using the same GPU for something else, as is usually the case, there might be a hardware conflict and a terrible slowdown. In addition to that, heterogeneous resource utilization can add some complexity. So whenever you try to optimize and squeeze the hardware to your needs, you need to have control on some heterogeneous operations 
kind of manually. So let me give you an example. Having a multi-thread application that fetches and pre-processes data and then feeds the GPU maybe with another thread would be extremely helpful because the GPU would never be waiting on such pre-processing operations, right? But the level of complexity to manage this scenario can be uh, much higher. And so this can be a problem whenever we are dealing with a TensorFlow project. In addition to this, documentation can be inconsistent. And I personally found a lot of inconsistencies between usually new functionalities and docs or tutorials explaining how to build stuff. This in turn made me quite frustrated and made, me, made my learning curve steeper than expected. There are a lot of tutorials and interesting books to start, but several times it, had, it happened that they became quite obsolete very quickly. Um, another problem that I personally experienced uh, is that by default, Theano and TensorFlow can conflict. So if you are like me coding with Theano or have a lot of code that depends on it from loading data to various utility functions, be aware that Theano and TensorFlow are not good friends at all. Indeed, if you import Theano and TensorFlow in the same scope, they will compete to allocate GPU memory and bad, unpredictable, horrible things might happen. With this said, there is an original architecture paper uh, that I will report in the show notes as all the others and of course the reference website tensorflow.org. In this episode, we looked at strategies to parallelize with modern architectures. In the last two episodes, I also explained some additional strategies to optimize training in deep learning in general. I think that this will be very useful in the near future due to the fact that neural networks get deeper and deeper and require longer training time to achieve decent results. In addition to this, as more and more data become available, more and more domains are also being tackled with deep learning techniques. Several researchers are also exploring deep learning solutions for mobile devices. Therefore, optimization will become more and more prominent for final users and definitely a priority for researchers. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. This episode is supported by Abe AI. The ABAI platform joins advanced financial machine learning and natural language processing to give banks the ability to engage and support customers at scale using artificial intelligence. Visit abe.ai to see how we are changing the financial services industry or how you can join our team. This was Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. If you like the show, don't forget to write a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbean. You can also find us on datascienceathome.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and get the latest updates. Thanks for listening. Hey, are you still there? Well, let me tell you about the newsletter of Data Science at Home. It's my free digest of the best content in artificial intelligence, data science, predictive analytics, and computer science. Subscribe now, datascienceathome.com.